So it is important that leadership sees this as a tool, uh, a way to empower their employees, a way to really be grounded to the front lines, but there's a responsibility that comes with it. Welcome to Create New Futures, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, experts, and interesting minds. Join us as we explore ideas and reflect on practices that you can use and apply to create and shape the future. With your host, author, and strategy consultant, Aviv Shahar. Welcome to Create New Futures, where we develop conversations with successful leaders to explore how you can create new futures for you and for your organization. This is Aviv, and today I'm speaking with Jeff Cates. Jeff is the CEO and president of Achievers, an industry-leading employee voice and recognition solution that accelerates a culture of performance. Before Achievers, Jeff was the CEO and president of Intuit Canada, where he led the growth of Intuit since 2011. During his tenure, the company was named a top great place to work in Canada year after year, and was also recognized as a top employer for women and millennials. Prior to Intuit, Jeff led for Apple Canada, their enterprise business. And before that, he was the vice president of Hewlett Packard Consumer Division. I initially met Jeff 15 years ago when I led a series of leadership events for HP Canada, and we stayed in touch. I found Jeff to be a thoughtful leader in that he is able to holistically integrate his, in his vision, people, performance, profit, and purpose. Jeff, it's great to have you here. Welcome. Great. Glad to be here. So Jeff, let me dive right in by asking you, of all that you are currently involved in and all that you're doing, what do you enjoy most? Yeah, so I... Obviously, a leader as the CEO of Achievers, uh, a father of three, a husband, uh, married for 23 years, a board member of some really amazing organizations. I, I wear many different hats. I'm super passionate about what I'm doing with Achievers right now, which is a mission-based organization that is trying to change the way the world works. And that's like right up my alley. That to me is just such an inspirational area to be in where we're trying to kind of bridge leadership science with behavioral science and technology to build better leaders and, and help prompt people to become just better. It's pretty cool. There's a lot to be done there and, and it's fun to learn and explore and be able to share my passion with others. How do you change the way the world works? Primary categories that we can play in is recognition or appreciation and rewards. That's, that's where the company was kind of founded. So this concept of really what engages people or what drives positive behavior is largely when you are appreciated or recognized for those actions or the behavior or the mindset that you have. That is a primary area that we're a pioneer and that we continue to build upon. We're also in the voice of employee space and we're, I think, still early in this evolution of companies asking questions to understand how employees are feeling, but not done in a way that's meaningful, not done in a way that's actually going to drive change. You know, it used to be an annual survey, but now what we recognize is, man, if you're only asking your employees once a year how they're doing, 
you're really kind of saying it doesn't matter that much because I'm not going to ask you again for a year. And the data, you, know, you don't have enough frequency of data to actually be able to know if you're making an impact. And so the evolution now is moving more towards smaller, quicker, easy to access, easy to digest surveys. But what we do, so we do that. But on top of that, what we do is we, because we have a high active usage platform with recognition, we can ask employees each and every day, how are you feeling? And the way we do that, the, the chat bot we use enables us to actually give a real pulse of what's happening, what's on the minds of people, what's working, what's not working. And that's really unique in that it allows leaders to have that real time to say, that worked really well. I'm going to lean in on it. Or like, whoa, there's a problem there. I need to take action. It's particularly important in today's world where things are upside down and, and people are really having to work in different ways. Having a real-time understanding of how your what your employees are feeling or what's working or what's not matters more now than other. So those are the two primary ways. We do other things as well, like coffee talks and mentorship things and things like that. But those primary areas, recognition and uh, voice of employee. So it's part of the science of this shift in the voice of employee, the, the idea that if you ask me once a year, I will think what is the right answer. But if you ask me every day, I get, I normalize in my psychology and my behavior, the survey, and I begin to give you true and real answers. Yeah, there are different questions you want to ask and different ways you want to do that. So for example, a pulse survey or an employee engagement survey is meant to be a periodic uh, set of questions. They usually don't repeat much. And, and they are, they've been crafted through workforce science to help us actually understand what really does engagement mean? And so you want those. You want that like quarterly pulse. These are the questions you're going to ask. You're going to benchmark yourself against history. You're going to benchmark departments within your company. You're going to benchmark against other, other companies. So that's really, really important. And the difference there is moving that from annual to more frequent so that employees say, I know that you're going to ask me again. And leaders know, gosh, if I don't do something, I'm going to get asked again and it's going to show I'm not making a difference. So it's creating a sense of accountability and mm. it's, because it's happening over and over again. The employee feels like, oh, I can count on that. That is my voice vehicle. It's powerful. The second component that I was telling you about is that always on tool, that barometer tool. That's very different. That is allowing you at any time to say, how am I feeling today? Right. Pulse is kind of like, a, I don't say artificial, but it's very formal, it's very formal questions. An always-on tool is like, hey, you can tell me how you're feeling at any time. Or the company cares so much to know how you're feeling, it puts this voice system in to get that. That's the power of the tool. Now, it's up to the leadership team to actually do something with that. That's really, really important. If they don't, employees look at it and say, wow, you put this in place for me to you know, give you my feedback, and then you didn't do anything with it. So it is important that leadership sees this as a tool, uh, a way to empower their employees, a way to really be grounded to the front lines, but there's a responsibility that comes with it. So let's just uh, get a little deeper into the, the science of engagement because companies have been inquiring about engagement possibly for three decades, maybe more. So what is your definition for employee engagement and, and what is their philosophy then that, that shapes that approach? Sure. There are about 12 questions that are used pretty much across all of the, the different organizations that play in this space. 
some of them are more company questions. Do I understand the vision? Can I, you know, basically, can I trust the company? Would the company lay me off? And then there are more specific questions that are more manager centric that are, do I get feedback from my manager? Have I had a career conversation? Am I looking for a job elsewhere? These questions help understand what the psyche or the feeling of the individual is. And they're tied, the outcomes of those are tied to things like revenue performance, profit performance, stock price, attrition, employee attrition. And so over over the years now, over a couple of decades, they've been proven out to be a good indicator of these other kind of output metrics. So this is validating for me what has been the the framework that I operated by, that there are actually three main vectors. You talk about 12 questions. I always thought there are three main vectors that define engagement, the satisfaction vector. That's about how people feel and will they recommend you as an employer and do they feel energized, excited and such to show up to work. The second vector, the, the purposeful alignment vector, that's, I think, what you spoke to in the idea of vision. But specifically, how do I, do I have a line of sight from the work I do every day to company's purpose and and mission? And is there indeed a a true sense of alignment there? And thirdly, the growth opportunity vector, can I succeed and, and grow in this place? Will I be recognized? Will I be supported? Will I learn new things? Will I be challenged? And so on. And can I truly contribute to shaping the, the future of the organization. So it, it sounds like all of those factors are truly part of the, the formulation that you are monitoring and bringing to, to uh, your clients. Yeah, you're right. Those are the three kind of macro w- with a caveat of that, that latter one you said has a heavy dose of what is the relationship like with my manager, right? Those are the three. And those questions that I had shared are different slants getting at those three kind of major themes. And do you find that the clients you serve, they're able to translate those insights to action that uh, truly makes a difference? Yeah, I think that's really what's the evolution in this space is how do I know as a company, as a, as a manager, what do I prioritize? What does it mean what are the best actions? Where do I go next with this? I mean, I've now, now been at multiple companies using multiple types of tools, all fairly much the same questions, but different companies, different durations, different set of, you know, different n- number of questions. And you normally get that. Like I've led and leaders are like, ah, so, so I, I get this score, but I don't know what to do with it. Or mm. I see five areas that I could get better at. Like, what do I do? And they get overwhelmed with that. And, and so where we're going is the more we study behavioral science and we study like what really motivates people and what, what really matters, the more we're actually able to translate that through the technology to actually nudge the behavior. That's really where we're going. We're going to be able to say, look, of the, you know, there are three things that are really notable. There's a couple that are like real strengths and you should continue to lean in on these because they really make a difference. So let's keep doing those things. That's really important. We lean in on the strengths. But there's you know, a two areas perhaps that you should pay attention to. Don't try to do two, just try to do the one. And under the one, there are different ways you might do that. We can actually educate leaders 
on here's why this matters. This is what, what when employees say this, what they really mean is this. And here are some different things you might try to actually take action and then help, help measure that action and nudge that action, you know, through a high active usage platform to say, hey, it doesn't, you know, it looks like maybe, you know, for example, recognition, which is an easy one for us. You know, your employees are saying they want to be appreciated more or recognized more, but we're not actually seeing the behavior on the platform. You might want to do the following and we can prompt them. So that's where it's headed. It's, it's get the insights, make the insights personalized to the situation, to the leader, and then educate and nudge them to actually take action and, and, and become better leaders. And that's like super exciting. And all of it will be delivered as a technology solution. You, you do not uh, yourself or your team do not uh, get involved in more consultative type uh, intervention or you do? We do, but I'm way more excited about technology being able to nudge and, and get to know the individual than relying on humans to intervene. Because that that is a bit of the old models, right? Yeah. The old model is HR owns the survey, owns engagement, spends months getting the data, consolidating the data, handing it out the data. Manager gets it, says, what do I, what do, I do, HR? That is not a, an efficient or effective method. What you really want is the leaders to feel 100% accountable, their role in helping drive awesome environments where people can do the best work of their lives. And so to do that, you need to give them real-time access in a frequent manner, and you need them to help them be able to understand that. And then you need to be able to nudge them in the right way, educate them and nudge them. And so if you can remove as much, I'm not saying all or that it's necessary to remove all human, but if you can have technology just doing that, nudging in the right way, that is scalable. It's, it, it can be very effective. I'm, I'm excited about that just because I think it, it can make a bigger impact towards our goal of changing the way the world works. Right. You, you're democratizing the access to that insight and you are empowering all leaders to take ownership to this very, very important aspect of their work. You got it. Let's just trace to the beginning. What do you believe shaped your passion and focus on people and on their ability to grow and bring forward the, the best? If you need to trace that impulse that you've carried through your various roles and experiences, and in a minute we'll, we'll ask through the different roles and companies you, you served, but if you need to trace the genesis of that impulse in you, what, what do you trace it to? I, my, my first company that I worked for was Hewlett Packard. And Bill and Dave were the pioneers of a lot of modern science, like modern workforce science through the HP way or a lot of, you know, in my MBA, there was lots of, lots of stories about Bill and Dave and how they believed great leaders should, should behave by walking around, trusting your employees, finding ways for employees to bump against each other and, and serendipity of that, um, just lots of things. And so much of whom I am is really from those teachings of Bill and Dave, although both of them were out of the business for the most part, by the time I joined, the company was very much still cast in their shadow and so that's where it really started. And I think my time at, at Intuit, which is also an incredibly people-centric, leadership science type company, the CEO, Brad Smith, was just so about employee first and servant leadership. It just further took that passion and attention and consciousness even further. And then throw on things like 
great place to work and with that desire of like, hey, what, what would a number one look like? <laughs> and mm. what would we need to do and go studying other companies? And that, that was kind of the evolution. So to join Achievers, which, which essentially was like, let's spend the rest of my life really thinking through how to take what I've done with Intuit Canada and find a way to do that around the world and, and do it in an even more impactful way with a, a company that bridges those three things, leadership science, workforce science, and behavioral or behavioral science and technology. Yeah. I mean, how cool is that? Beautiful. The opportunity almost was shaped and designed, especially for you. I think so. I mean, I don't think I could have, <laughs> could have built something better. And I, I loved Intuit. Intuit is a great company. I, I felt like I was transforming an industry. I'm very passionate about small businesses. I felt like I, I was helping that. And there was just so many wonderful, really amazing things. So I had said, gosh, if I'm ever going to leave, like it would have to look like this. I mean, that's not going to happen. And then, you know, sometimes it, sometimes it does. Things land in front of you and you're like, wow, huh? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly what, what would entice me to leave such a wonderful thing. And I'm glad I did. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's trace back to uh, Hewlett Packard and, and those early days in, in your career. What are some of the, the early formative experiences you, as you are shaping your journey? I'm particularly interested in how did you discover uh, what you're good at? Was, was there a particular point or moment where you said, yeah, I think I'm going to excel in this direction. I, I'm here to lead teams. How did that evolve, that self-insight? How did that develop for you? Yeah, well, my journey line was, so I grew up in a small town, outside of a small town. And it's funny, many people said, oh, you know, you're going to be this. They knew, knew before I did, I guess, maybe the path I would be on. Although I, I'm not sure I was super conscious of it as a kid, I was constantly thinking of different things that I would become. But I had actually started up several like lo-fi businesses in my teenage years. I went to McMaster, which is in Hamilton, just outside of Toronto for commerce, started up a business there with a couple of guys and was loving it, lo- loving the camaraderie and the ability to build a business. It was really, really exciting. An opportunity came up to um, do an intern at Hewlett Packard. And as you heard, you know, I, I, I was just in love with Bill and Dave and, and thought, gosh, how could I pass up the opportunity to learn from this company? Didn't hurt that uh, it was going to be a lot more dependable as a paycheck than being a, a small business owner. And, and they're going to pay for my MBA. And that, that just morphed into a wonderful career. They pretended I was an intern after the school said, you're, you're not an intern, you need to come back. And then when I graduated, they hired me. And I spent 15 years there in a variety of roles, product management, program management, marketing, sales. In the end, I ran the consumer division, as you, you talked about. When I couldn't convince my wife to go to the US and realize like, hey, I'm going to cap out here. Like, I, I need to keep pushing myself to learn and do new things. My boss had gone over to Apple and said, hey, come on over, run consumer, run commercial, just come. And I had wanted to get back over to commercial. I took the part that actually made me the most uncomfortable, that the most unqualified to do, went over and ran that and learned a ton, made some good mistakes, had some great successes within the company, loved many things about Apple. Also learned things that I loved about HP that I didn't know until I left what made it so unique. So how would you describe the difference between HP and, and Apple? How would you characterize those two different experiences? HP was very much, it was a you know, wide organization, especially when I first joined. So it was very much about a mobility and helping you find new ways to grow within the company. 
very much about leadership, a lot of attention around leadership, very transparent, you know, good at sharing information and sharing where, where the direction of the company is. Apple was very different and, and successful to some extent because it was very different. It was like, if we're going to hire you as somebody that's going to make a radio antenna for an iPhone, that's what you're going to do. And that's all you're going to do. So mobility was not, not important. Yeah, at least back, back under Steve Jobs' uh, era, I'm not sure under Tim. Obviously, secrecy is, is paramount to Apple. I mean, you, I found out about the iPad and the same day that you found out about the iPad, and I was responsible for a business unit that, you know, that was going to sell them and market them. And the leadership just didn't, didn't have the same depth around building out leadership. But on the flip side, Apple had, you know, hired great people and just really know the experience and, and passion and have courage and boldness for that. Where Apple would you know, work nimbly with channel partners, Apple would say, no, the right way to do this is this, or we believe a great experience is this, and, and really have such conviction that they would be fine saying, look, if, if you can't get behind that, then you know, it's okay. We don't need to work together. And so I, I think that was really, really amazing as well. And of course, Apple was phenomenal at thinking ahead of the customer and thinking about where the world would be and what technology would look like and hugely inspiring. And of course, we all, we all benefit from that thinking each and every day. And what happened then? How did you um, get from there to Intuit? Yeah, so I, I was just shy of three years in and you know, I had that like, gosh, there's a lot of amazing stuff going on you know, the next gen of iPhone, the iPad, but I wasn't really pioneering. I mean, the stuff that I was doing was innovative, but innovative in a very defined way. And um, so I was really hungering for that. Like I want to build and I want to pioneer and I want to grow and I want to be responsible. And so into it just happened to come. I don't, I'm not sure why I took the call, but they said, Hey, the international division is housed out of Canada. We want to go around the world. We need your help. We want you to build products for Canadians, by Canadians in Canada. We want you to innovate. And we have the value system of Hewlett Packard. And I hmm. thought, wow, like, man, that's, that's right up my alley. That's exactly what I want. And so that was what kind of pulled me away from one great company to another. And I, I didn't even know how amazing it was going to be until I got, uh, got in. But uh, yeah, that's the story. And that role then became the, the president of Intuit Canada. Was that right away how you started? Yes. Yeah, I, I was part of a global division and, and there was a lot of autonomy for Canada because TurboTax was a Canadian, you know, same brand name as the US, but a separate product. Our ProTax product was, was a distinct Canadian product. QuickBooks was leveraged, but largely kind of independent for Canada. So I had a ton of control and autonomy for the country. But I was part of this global team looking at how do we expand to new countries. And we were just at this turning point of an era before I joined of new products and new markets. And not surprisingly, most of them were failing. And the mothership was like, these are distractions. Like, why are you working on these things? The core is this. And so we were right at that tipping point of realizing, in particular, that small businesses around the world have the same problems. It's money in, it's money out, it's administration. They're the same problems. There's some uniqueness by country, but they're the same problems. And we we were just, you know, in my early, that first year, we were just kind of landing on, hey, what if we had a cloud solution that, you know, we could customize by country? Could you actually have one platform that truly could be a global product? 
Um, and that was the era that I was in is like radically changing the company from being a desktop CD-ROM retail based accounting software or tax software to becoming more of a platform and a, a SaaS solution and just kind of rethinking how we could transform the world with like real-time access to data, automation, et cetera. Super cool. So through all these experiences earlier in Kulit Packard and then at Apple and, and then with, with Intuit, where and when did you feel most innovative in terms of the, the opportunities to shape the product, to, to shape the solution and, and to really produce some, some novel new ideas? Yeah, it's really been in these last two roles. With Intuit, I was doing a lot of pioneering around how do we automate the accounting flow from the data that comes in off, you know, from your bank or your credit card, like the data level, working with government and working with industry to kind of open that up and democratize it. So open banking, and then bringing that into the, the, the bookkeeping solution and automating all of that work that needs to get done to really unlock insights. And then enabling that to be used by your bookkeeper, your accountant to really give you proactive guidance. And then automating the accounting side to say, hey, if you want to help them with their financial statements or help them with or their financial position or help them with their tax position, how can we actually use technology to automate that too so that you're actually now knowing in advance, hey, if you don't take action now, this is going to be the, if you don't jump on this opportunity, you're going to pay more taxes. Or, you know, what our goal was really, we should use technology to enable consultants, the champions of small businesses, largely the accountants and the bookkeepers, to give them real-time access and nudge them to go ask the right questions proactively. And that was really, really fascinating stuff. We were pioneering and still pioneering stuff in Canada that we were rolling out around the world. And it's it was really neat, really, really powerful. So I love, I love that. I love that impact we were having and the encouragement that was coming as early adopters were, were just jumping in and helping us build. And of course, you, you, you know, we've talked a little bit about achievers, but achievers is the same. Like, you know, I know where I want to go and where we can have opportunity and what we can do. And now it's just figuring out what first and how, and how do we build it and how do we collaborate with, with our customers to, to do it in a way that's, you know, the right for, for their environment, their, their culture, their, their value system. It's fascinating. So in, in both cases, what um, is compelling about what you're describing is that you're innovating in a very large ecosystem. And innovation can only work if you can indeed connect all those different systems and platforms. And, and you're talking about changing behaviors at, at the highest level with some very large entities. What are some insights and, and learning from leading an effort like that? You know, you, you have to have vision. And you have to be able to keep teams grounded towards where you're going and what the longer term path is, because it can be really hard, especially when you're innovating inside a large organization. You know, there'll be lots of pulls on, hey, well, why don't we just make this thing, this thing better, right? Or add this feature or customers are asking for this. They're not asking for that. And so you have to feel confident in that vision of like, well, they may not be asking for it, but you're asking the wrong people. <laughs> like you need to think beyond it. That's what Steve Jobs was so amazing at. And so, and having that conviction, removing the roadblocks from the teams that are going to have resistance from anywhere where they have dependencies. 
finding ways to shelter that innovation so it can it can get ground and and get early shoots that you know people can actually start to get excited about is really important it's tricky but it's how you truly drive transformation bill and dave were amazing at it they they had this thing where they would they would allow ideas to spark to incubate inside a, a business unit and they they just seem to have this gift of saying okay, that's just big enough before it's about to get quashed. And then they would pluck it out and they would like physically move it to some other area. And then they would start to manage it directly and help build it up. So for example, technology behind Inkjet was built within the laser jet division. And so, you know, Inkjets are really prevalent. You know, they were the ones that really brought color printing into the world. But the laser jet division would at some point would have quashed that <laughs> because it would be cannibalistic. And so they knew we have, you know, we had to build it up within the, this business unit, but then we have to pluck it out and allow it to compete so that it actually can truly build to be a transformative technology. And so they were masters at it. Steve Jobs was a master of he himself thinking ahead of what the future would look like and having a dogged determination to see it through. Mm. It makes you wonder, where do you see those kind of visionary leadership today in, in which company? And also, when you talk about the early days of Hewlett-Packard, we are in a different time, in a different velocity in the marketplace. So it requires a leader that, that's truly determined to make the space for that kind of innovative emergence in a company. Completely, but there's not really a shortage of them. It's just that you you need to look in the right space. If you look at most entrepreneurs, those that are founders, those that are building something, for the most part, you know they're coming in with that vision. I can do I see a problem, I can solve it. And if they've gotten to the the point of that they're actually successful in building, they they will, you know th- that's exactly it. <laughs> They don't only succeed, of course, but they have that archetype of what that con- conviction looks like. Yeah. So when you arrived at Achievers, you already have had the experience of Hewlett-Packard and, and, and Apple and, and Intuit. And at that point, how would you describe the leadership philosophy that you have developed uh, around the idea of building a high-functioning, if you need to describe the, the guiding principles that for you are are the the critical principles in in developing and building a high-functioning leadership team. How would you describe this? Yeah, well, there's a couple of frameworks I use, and I've stolen them them from elsewhere. One being from Intuit, the True North framework, which Mm -hmm. is essentially your mission guide you. It's your guiding star. You make decisions short and long, right? As as leadership, as organizations, you make decisions decisions today that will help the company grow and you make decisions that over the long will help lead, lead the company off better for the people that will follow behind you and they will be thankful that you made those investments and that you usually have three primary stakeholders they are employees they are your customers and they are your shareholders and they are in that order that is the air water and food and so if you are you know first and foremost about enabling your employees to be engaged and innovating for your customers, then your customers will be happy. And if your customers are happy, then your shareholders will be happy. So I use that true north framework with like real metrics below each of those to help 
guide that. And I, I think to that short and long, and I think in that, that three-stage stakeholder laddering, if you will. And then in terms of the actual, like, how do you build a team and how do you drive a high-performing team? I'm a massive fan of Patrick Lencioni and the advantage model that I use that with all my teams because I really believe that Maslow's hierarchy, if you will, that, that he espouses to is exactly the way to think about how to build great teams. Where the highest level is not self-actualization, but actually serving a greater cause. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, what I love about Lencioni's model is this premise of first team and that as a leadership team, you, know, you don't own a department, right? It's not my, you know, my marketing department or my sales department. The leadership team owns that company and collectively they need to push each other to be the best leaders they can be. And they need to do so in a way that has no ego that enables the, we're all in it together to truly be better leaders. That's really the first team principles. And I just find it hugely inspiring, hard to achieve, hugely inspiring and and the right focus. What was a moment or a situation through, throughout this career with different roles in different companies that where you were compelled to exercise courage, that is leadership courage, either courage in confronting something in yourself or confronting something in your team or courage to lead with an initiative that was really uh, breaking out of the, the mold and any kind of courage. I'm interested in your moment of courage through your leadership career. There are many and it comes in different forms. There are those ones that, you know, we kind of talked about earlier around when you believe in something that you're building, something that you're pioneering and you believe so passionately that you inspire an organization to get behind it. And inevitably there will be setbacks or people, you know, things will change and all of a sudden people don't get it anymore. And, and you have to do it all over again. And they have to do it all over again. That really takes courage and persistence. There, there was a product as part of that ecosystem I was talking about earlier to basically digitize tax and digitize kind of like the work that's done for accountants to be able to build financial statements and, is really important because it's the area that actually you want to automate to be able to surface the insights. And I had to go to bat like so many times I would would get people to truly understand it. And then, you know, the champion would leave or the industry would go down and and funding would get tough and we would have to defund something. And then I had to go do it all over again. And so that's an example of like courage to believe in what your going to deliver and the team that you've got and sticking with it and having the patience and just knowing like, I know this is the right thing and keep driving it. It also shows up in today's world where, you know, you have to have this boldness, especially when the markets go down in a big way, being able to say like, what, where do I need to be in the future? And what calls do I need to make today? Even if they, they're, they make me uncomfortable or make my employees uncomfortable or make my shareholders uncomfortable you just have to have that. You have to have that view. What are the right things to do that you personally believe are the right things to do to lead your organization through change? Yes. Yes. So most of your career, you served in large companies and only now in, in recent time in, in your role in Achievers, have you found yourself in an early stage company. What's the difference what do you enjoy and what do you miss from the larger company experience? What I loved about 
in particular with Intuit, but, but, but I could use it for any of the companies is how much I just learned from the people around me or from, from the people above me. Like Scott Cook is a phenomenal founder of Intuit and any time I could have with him was just gold. Like I was like a sponge. He's just so wickedly intelligent and so masterful at innovation and just such a critical thinker. So to, you know, when I laughed, I was like, oh my gosh, like, wow, I'm, I would be losing all those things. And, and to some extent I have, but, but then you find different ways to get inspiration and learn. And, and so that's been an, an incredible journey. What I loved about Achievers, which, you know, it's, it, we're over 400 people. We're in four countries. We serve, you know, many large companies, GM, Ericsson, PwC, like we're, we're, we're certainly not a startup, but now I'm much more in control of where we're headed. There's fewer curveballs. And so with that comes a bigger sense of responsibility and accountability, but at least I'm able to control where we're headed and not having to reset because stakeholders changed or the, you know, somebody else's environment changed or a reorg happened. And so I appreciate that. It gives me more confidence of like, I know where I want to go and I have fewer things that get in the way of helping to get there. Very nice. What are the, the kind of insights and learning that uh, you're able to glean from sitting on various boards of companies or, or organizations? What, what is that experience like for you? Yeah, well, I sit on two boards right now. One is Startup Canada, which is a national organization that encourages, um, educates, and lobbies for startups, small businesses in Canada. And the second is CUSO, which is a bit of maybe a Peace Corps for Canada. So it's volunteerism around the world to help fight poverty and women's rights and and a number of other initiatives. So very, very different. And I've enjoyed both. They they are my ways of giving back and have allowed me to both mentor those organizations or in the case of Startup Canada, mentor organizations that are affiliated with that. So that's been absolutely wonderful. You know, in part, like you learn different things about different industries how the government works in the case of startup Canada, like, you know, that you've got that entrepreneurial spirit and energy that comes with being around startups. And so I, I, I like in general, one, the diversity and it stretches my thinking and expands my networks. And I like the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm giving back and that I'm contributing and it's nice to be able to take the things that I'm bringing from a commercial world and bring them into these other organizations and, and leader, you know, boards and be able to contribute there too. So that, that's been really meaningful and rewarding. Where will you be five or seven years from now? Oh, that's a good question. I, I, I know where I, where I believe we can go with that, that concept of you know, high active usage platform, solving problems for each and every day, insights engine with voice of employee, and then nudging leaders to become better leaders. I, I'm really inspired by that. And gosh, to, to get to what I think it could be, I mean, it's going to outlast my, my life, although I think we'll make, it, make a material difference in, in five to seven years. And so that's what's really has me inspired right now. I, I just, there's so much we can do. And so that's mm. where my, my, my passion is, where my, where my energy is going. So yeah. With all that you know today, Jeff, what advice would you give your 25-year-old self? I was very fortunate. When I first joined HP, I was gung-ho. I mean, within 
weeks, I'd met the CEO of HP Can. I was like, oh, I'm going to have that guy's job. <laughs> yeah. and, and not because I could do it better, but of course, at that age, you don't know what you don't know. So like, oh, that, that looks cool. I want to do that. And I remember my leader, my marketing manager that kind of took the bet on me, he kind of stalled out in his career because he hadn't built a big, he hadn't built a base. And so he'd wanted to get out of marketing to do something different because he'd been doing that role for a long time, but he just didn't have a lot of opportunities because people said, you don't, you don't have the experience to laterally move over to one of these other roles. When he left out of frustration, I was like, oh, I'm totally going to have that role. And I think I was 24. And at that time, HP was a leader in the medical base. And so I, I'm like, oh, I'm going to have that. And I did lots of silly things like sitting at his desk to say, hey, maybe they see me sitting there. Maybe they'll think I'm a, you know, look, look, he looks good. It looks perfect. Uh, um, and this wise quality leader came to me and uh, he put his arm around me and he said, Jeff, here's the thing. You're not going to get that job. You're 24 and you're not ready for it. And, and to be honest, it's a really good thing because you're going to follow the same path as your predecessor. You haven't sure. built a base. You haven't built a base. And the more you go up, the more that it's going to be harder once you get used to that title or that salary or that business card to be able to go back to square one. And so his big urging to me was like, slow down and build an experience base that's going to help you later on in life. Not just because you're going to be able to leverage that experience that's going to show up on your CV because you are personally going to be more experienced. And if you aspire to be a leader, like heading up a technology company, then you are going to be better because you got all of that experience. And wow, I mean, that was just powerful. You know, it was what I needed to hear. He was 100% right. And so I spent really the next kind of five years just, you know, morphing in roles just like, Hey, I'm in this role, but I could see this could get done. I'm just going to take that on. And then it would, you know, go into something and we'd split my role. And then I'd see something else that needed to get done. And I would just take that on. And then we would split my role again. And, and so I just created my own opportunities and it wasn't super conscious. It just, I was curious and wanted to learn and wanted to have an impact and, and it just worked out that way. And so much of my mobility that built my base and built my brand and built my confidence what started with his advice and executed in the way that I just said. So I, I, I would go back and say, he was right. And make sure you listen to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. That, that This is really golden. If you were to lose all that you know and keep only two ideas or two capabilities or two practices, what would you keep? I would keep an employee first mindset that wasn't natural for me coming out of university. I was thinking very commercial, but over the years, I've just realized how important that is. And it's still not fully ingrained in corporate world. And so I would keep that, like, know your stakeholders and know what order they're in. The importance of teams, you know, that's just, just super important. And, you know, most of my energy is how do I help build the team and nurture the team? And that's super important. And then I think just compassion, I mean, and that's innate, but wanting to do good, wanting to give back, wanting to truly connect with people. I don't know. I think that's just kind of ingrained. You're you're either thinking that way or you're not, but I would hope that I would never lose that. I'm I'm sure I could be much, much, much better at it. um, And yet I would never want to lose that because that's, I think, what makes me me. 
Yeah, you just opened there an interesting inquiry. Would you say compassion is truly innate, period, or is it like all other muscles, muscles we with mindfulness and focus it, it, and, and inspiration from others, it is truly something that we can develop and evolve over time, I believe. I think it is, there's an element, you know, I have three kids and my daughter is my middle child and she just oozes compassion and empathy. And, and my, my older son is much more commercially minded and <laughs> much more first child oriented. So I can see that there is certainly an element of an eight out of the gates. Perhaps we shaped it, no doubt, in terms of where we gave them attention and what, what we praised them for. But, you know, I think there is an element that is shaped in your early, early ages. But, but even after that, once you start to think about what's really important in your experiences and your values form further, I, I really do think that it becomes like, oh, you realize, oh, that's, that's really important. And you start to think about how to show that or how to be transparent with it or how to be more conscious of it. And so I think it's a combination. I think there's an element that is nurtured early days. And then there is this, you know, elements in life where you just learn what's important for you. But um, it's a combination. Yeah. And lastly, what wisdom can you offer about the experience of, of having these uh, highly responsible um, roles and, you know, compet- you know, facing competitive pressure time and again, and at the same time preserving uh, your focus and attention to your family and being able to, to do both, uh, having a competitive career and a wonderful uh, family that you look after and, and that you attend to. What, what, what are some learnings and experiences that you distill from that part of your journey? Yeah, I, I, I get that question a lot. How do, you, how, do you, how do you balance a leadership role, a CEO role, and having, uh, you know, having a great work life and you know, being personally balanced. Um, and I think on the personal side, I mean, there's no excuses. You make your own time, you manage your own environment. And if you think that way, then you will execute that way. If you don't think that way, then, then the business will run you or the industry will run you. And in terms of, you know, from a family perspective, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I have an incredibly supportive wife and that, we're able to communicate very well that allows us to kind of flex around where I am at the moment. Like for example, I take a fair amount of vacation. I think it's really important, particularly because sometimes I, I won't be there during the nights for a variety of reasons, but so I'm going to be there all in on the weekend, or I'm going to take that time as vacation to be with my family. And sometimes I'll say, look, this is, this is not a pure vacation, right? I got to work because there's a reorg or it's the time of year or whatever but I'm not going to hold you back. And so this is going to be kind of a hybrid and let's talk about how we make the best of that and be clear with each other around um, when I'm on and when I'm off. And then there'll be other times where it's like, Hey, I'm completely off. I'm all about the family. I'm all about you. And just declaring that both to myself and, and to my family. And so it's important that whatever it is, your spouse, your, whatever your significant, significant other is your friends is just, you know, you, you control your own destiny. You have to have that mindset and that you are just deliberate and communicate effectively with those around you. So they kind of know where you, where you are and, and they also are okay to challenge you and say like, Hey, enough, it's time to come to bed. Um, you know, that's, you want that around you to help, help you stay balanced. 
That's another golden advice there. Uh, Jeff, this was a rich exploration with you today as we bring this to lending. What uh, parting wisdom do you wish to offer to people listening to create new features? I think it's so important to always be learning, always find ways to get outside in inspiration. And in particular, you know, mentorship and coaches are so important. And so finding ways to get that and create that is part of that learning journey. And of course, I'm, I'm super thankful to you because much of my internal inspection or introspection came about when you were helping us back in the, in the HP days. And so uh, it's great to see you continuing to make an impact in the world. And I really enjoyed spending time with you. Thank you, Jeff. This is great. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.